Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. All right. Well, for those that were here last week, we kicked off this latest series. Yep. Who is God? So last Sunday, you couldn't even hold back your excitement. They were saying, Yahoo, right? Those that were here. And uh, yeah, Yahoo. And that's exactly what we were talking about. So we're going to continue digging into who is Yahweh. The short, shortened word here that's used in the Psalms and other places is Yah. Who is our God, right? So we covered last week, one more, one more slide, Caden. We covered that God revealed his personal name to Moses. Let me read this, actually. (laughs) So these are the verses we're taking note of. Three verses, the themes of which get repeated over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament, the psalmists, the prophets. God's people leaned on these verses and the character of God revealed here as God not only revealed his personal name with Moses, but then expounded on that. What did his name mean as he proclaimed his name? So the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, that's Moses, and proclaimed the Lord by name. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, who's slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. Keeping loyal love for thousands, as we saw last week, that's generations, thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, But he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished, responding to the transgressions of fathers by dealing with children and children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And so we're going to unpack this. We've got four weeks. We're in the second week right now. And we're going to zero in on those first two characteristics of God, right? Right as he says, he's proclaiming Yahweh, his name, which was compassionate and gracious. So we're talking about compassion and grace. Last week, we talked about where these verses fall, right? So Moses had just brought the Israelites out of Egypt, where they were slaves. He had um, brought them to Mount Sinai, which God promised he would do at the burning bush. He would bring them back as a sign of his promise. And then there, as Moses is up, he's getting the Ten Commandments ready, two tablets. And at the bottom of Mount Sinai, they are building a golden calf, choosing to worship it instead of Yahweh. And then Moses is pleading with Yahweh saying, show me your glory. I want to know you more. And that's exactly where these verses fall. And after this point, Moses Moses pleads for God. God reveals his character, which are these things that we're breaking down in the next couple weeks as well. And, And it's there that God decides to continue on with the Israelites, even after they have just worshiped the golden calf. And so this is the character of our God. And this is why we're digging into this, not just for the other things we mentioned, the repetition, the importance of understanding the character of God last week. These these characteristics of God serve as a foundation and an anchor for God's people, and they become our own anchor for who God is and a testament of his name. And what he's about. So, in digging into compassion and grace, there's three things that we're going to do. I want you to appreciate the meaning of these words. As I kind of studied, I grew a new appreciation for what compassion and grace were. 
I'm still learning, as my wife will tell you, as we were debating some of these things last night. Compassion in the context of these verses that we're going to talk about is this deep sympathy that God has for our condition as human beings. And grace is going to be shown as this outpouring of God's favor on those who do not deserve it. And that's for his name's sake and his reputation. And so as, I've, as you've gotten used to, if you've heard me teach a couple times, it's going to be a lot of scripture, so I'm going to read that to you. Hopefully you enjoy it. Ashley, my wife, is going to come up afterwards and share a story about how we, in the last week and a half, have got to experience this feeling of compassion to a much deeper degree than we had before. And so she'll share that story, and we'll take communion together. And then my call to action, same as last week, you know, Moses already knew the name of God, is said to have this relationship with God face-to-face as talking to a friend. And God uses Moses to take the Israelites through miracles and the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea to bring them to Mount Sinai. And after all of these things, he still goes to God and says, show me your glory. I want to know you. Show me your way. And that's, that's what I want to encourage us all in, is not just understanding the meaning of some of these words, but are we, like Moses, going back to God, saying, show me your glory, even if we have this intimacy that, that we know his name, that we're part of his covenant. All right, so let's start with compassion. Okay, next slide. This is baby Emmanuel. Ruth is over here. We're about to have six boys in our house. <laughs> baby Emmanuel is born, is going to be born August 5th or around that time. Sweet. You never know. But uh, yeah, we're excited for Emmanuel coming and joining us. Um, I'm a twin. Caden, my, this is not a picture of me coming up next. That's actually Emmanuel. This is not me and my twin. But when you think about twins in the womb, this might be what you picture, right? This like loving, cuddling, you know, before they get out of the womb. But the next picture is actually probably a more accurate representation of what it was like. Just like us punching each other and kicking each other. This is probably what my mom felt in the final month of pregnancy as well. She'd probably agree. Yeah, so we're, we're going to talk. You know, I don't show you these pictures just for, you know, to make you laugh. Oh, that one's, that's a good one. Okay. So it's the Hebrew word womb. It's the root word for the word compassion in the Bible. The protection and the care of a mother and the babies in the womb, the womb itself providing protection and nourishment, that this is the root word of the word that we're studying that our God says is about him, compassionate. And so it's this deep, caring, instinctual love. We can, yeah, go back to this one. There you go. (laughs) I was like, sorry, deep, deep love. This desire, dramatic desire to protect something that cannot take care of itself, just like a womb does or a mother does for a newborn baby. And while those babies looked strong, you know, they appear to have some really good mixed martial arts skills. They're quite helpless. And even kids know this. In fact, kids, you helped me out last week with a knock-knock joke. This week, I need your help again. So to prove it, let's have the kids help me out. Kids, can a baby, oh, go forward too. Can a baby do this? Are babies able to shave themselves? No? Okay. How about the next one? Can they fix cars? No? Okay. All right. Can they go to work? 
No, they can't pay for their, their rent. No, that's not true. So next one. Can they mow the lawn yet? No. Okay, y'all are, are on a roll. Next one. Can they chop wood for winter time? Okay. Gosh, you're right. So we all know babies can't do this. I can't even fix a car, <laughs> right? And then all mothers, fathers, uncles, aunts, grandparents, we all know, even kids know how fragile babies are. They're dependent on us. Poor Caleb, my two-year-old, he's, he's been potty trained, but I still got to wipe his bottom, right? Carson, he's afraid at night. If his big brothers aren't sleeping in the room with him, he wants to come and be in the room with us. He's four. His older brothers, Kai and Caden. Caden's doing the slides. Kai's down here drawing a picture of me, maybe. And then, you know, they can't apply to college yet. They can't get a mortgage for a house, right? They can't fix my car yet. Maybe one day. And similarly, so, you know, so our children are dependent on us for so much, for so long. Go to the, this is great. Go to the next slide. So let's, let's talk about God as our father. Similar, he knows our condition as well. Psalm 103, we had some of this last week. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his faithful followers. For he knows what we are made of. He realizes we are made of clay. A person's life is like grass, like a flower in the field it flourishes, but when the hot wind blows, it disappears and one can no longer even spot the place where it once grew. And next, in Genesis, the Lord formed the man from the soil, the clay of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God remembers how he made humans from the soil of the ground, and that we are dependent on him for the breath of life for his very breath. He created you and he knows how we are like children before him. So we need a father who loves us deeply, understands our helpless condition and offers us spiritual protection. Someone that comes to our rescue because we cannot rescue ourselves. So this is what God did for the Israelites. Going back to the, the context of the verses we're studying, he heard the cry of the Israelites in Egypt, and they were slaves there. And for 40 years, also in the wilderness, he cared for them, protected them, provided them manna, provided them water. It says their sandals did not wear out during the 40 years. God was like a baby in a womb protecting the Israelites as they journeyed to the promised land that he promised. So it's this level of compassion and understanding that leads God to maintain a covenant promise that he made to Abraham, despite even knowing how baby-like we are, how unfaithful and how awful we are going to be at delivering on what God was asking from us. So the promise that God maintained, even when his people squandered his blessings, he still finds some way to keep his promise and remain faithful like a father to a son. And that resulted in our ultimate salvation. I won't dive into it, but it's worth reading. I think we read it maybe a couple months back, the parable of the two sons. And that the, this one son goes away and squanders the, demands the inheritance, then squanders it, and then comes back understanding his failings. And the father 
while he was still far off, ran to his son. That's the compassion of the father. And that's the character by nature. That's who God is. He says, I am a compassionate God. So God is compassionate. He's bearing with our weakness and understanding deeply our condition. Let's skip forward here. Gracious. Okay. So let's look closely. I mentioned we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this as Ashley shares a story here. But before we do that, let's dig into graciousness. So what we're going to find is that God is gracious. We see that grace is not something that gets introduced when Jesus comes. That's the context that I've always thought of grace. But if you've been following in Galatians, you know that this is true. Paul says it's with Abraham that the promise was made and it's and to his descendants in this. And then we are now invited in. So Jesus, the Messiah comes. It's God's nature from his from the very beginning to be gracious. So what does that mean? It's God choosing the people of Israel. Abraham's descendants showing them an abundance of favor, which they did not deserve. And it becomes abundantly clear, like I mentioned, at the bottom of the mountain, Moses is is getting the covenant in order with God and has to break the two tablets because his people have just, you know, have completely left the God who just rescued them from Egypt. And God could have ended the covenant there. He would have been right to say, nope, I'm going to go find another people who will actually do what, I'm, what I need them to do for the covenant. But he remained faithful, even when his people were not. And with Moses interceding and pleading with God to stay true to his promises, God maintains his grace. He tells Moses to create two new tablets identical to the first that were destroyed. And so this is grace. This is completely undeserved favor and an unmerited gift from the Father at that point to the Israelites and for us through Jesus today. And so where do we see this in action? Next slide. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, He has chosen you to be his prized people, prized above all others on the face of the earth. It is not because you were more numerous than all the other peoples that the Lord favored and chose you. For in fact, you were the least numerous of all peoples. So why did God show his favor to the Israelites? In Deuteronomy, it says, Deuteronomy 7, 8, a little later, rather it is because of his love for you his faithfulness to the promise he solemnly vowed to our ancestors that the Lord brought you out with great power, redeeming you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The Israelites had been chosen as the ones to inherit the promised land. And that was a promise that he gave to Abraham. And he will be faithful in showing them favor despite their unfaithfulness. And we see this in Deuteronomy 9. It is not because of your righteousness or even your inner uprightness that you have come here to possess this land, the promised land. Instead, it's because of the wickedness of these nations. The Lord your God is driving them out ahead of you. And it's in order to confirm the promise that he made on oath to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So the Israelites, despite their failings and unfaithfulness, God is still maintaining favor on them when I would have left them a long time ago. But he knows our condition. He's compassionate. And next, understand, therefore, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is about to give you this good land as a possession. For you are a stubborn people. That's who we are by nature. So he's compassionate and gracious. He's faithful. And we see that at the end of Moses' life, he's recalling what God revealed to him about the people that God has coveted with and is showing grace to. And that's next. Moses is talking to the Levites. He says, take this scroll of the law, the Torah, place, place it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. It will remain there as a witness against you. For I know about your rebellion and stubbornness. Indeed, even while I've been living among you to this very day, you have rebelled against the Lord. You will be even more rebellious after my death. But who does God stay committed to after Moses dies? It's the Israelites. Because he has a promise he's going to be faithful to. He's compassionate in their failings and he's gracious to maintain that promise for his name's sake. And ultimately, finding one from the Israelites who will be the Savior, who will, who will actually finally complete the promise. So God would still choose to use Abraham's descendants, knowing full well that they would not uphold their promise, always realizing there would always be a remnant in Israel in which that promise and that covenant will be maintained. And kept. So Abraham was promised that he would be the father of many nations, that through him he would become a blessing to the nations, that he, through his line, there would be an opening for a way, a people from every tribe, nation, tongue, to have free, unmerited access to the favor and blessings of God that he's been showing to the Israelites this whole time. But we are getting access to through Jesus. This is the pinnacle of grace. I think next slide. Oh, more of why they don't deserve it. So gather to me all the elders, speak to them. For I know that after I die, you will totally corrupt yourselves and turn away from the path I've commanded you to walk. The people that God has coveted with, we, our condition is one of not being able to uphold the law, not being able to maintain our faithfulness. And yet he is faithful when we are not. So yeah, so let's go, I think, next slide, to Ephesians. So I mentioned in, in Galatians, we've seen this, where, where Paul is arguing that it's not the law that saves you, it's grace. It's your faith in Jesus that saves you. And, and Paul here in Ephesians is calling on that same grace to say this is the grace that God has shown through history and is now available to us through Jesus. So he raised us up together with him and seated us together with him in the heavenlies to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace that he told us all the way back at Exodus 32 that this is the kind of God he is one of surpassing grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace, you are saved through faith. And that is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one could boast. The Israelites could not boast. It was their righteousness that got them into the promised land. It was because they were numerous that God chose to covenant with them. It was because they were the least numerous, because God knew their condition. He had compassion on them and he showed them grace because he is a compassionate and gracious God. So this is why we rely on grace and only grace because this is who God is by his nature. So, uh, yeah, so the favor of God in choosing Abraham or his descendants was not based on anything other than that they were putting their faith in the one true God. Like the first commandment that you would have no other gods, but this one God. And just as it was for all the remnants of the Israelites throughout the generations and all those today who put their trust in the Lord alone and call upon no other name but the name of the Lord, which was revealed and in Jesus. And so that's, that's where I am now on understanding grace and compassion with a couple funny pictures and some really serious meditation on just like, what is grace? When does it show up? We have more to unpack in the next couple of weeks. So we're going to cover God's loyal love, his faithfulness, his forgiveness, because all these things are outflowings of these two main characteristics of God, his compassion and grace, and also the justice that he brings on the guilty, that he is there bringing justice for the oppressed that we see all the time. So we want to dive into that and make those things a little more clear and understand them. So. But now I just want to invite Ashley, my wife, up to share a story. Let's give her a hand. So some of you know, many of you don't know, but 10 days ago, my two-year-old son, Caleb, in our community pool nearly drowned. And whenever... I pulled him up out of the water. His body and face were completely blue. He wasn't breathing. He was unresponsive. And his heart wasn't. I had to do CPR on my own baby. And it was my fault. I was the only adult. So... I'm going to share with you. I'm going to take like 15 minutes or so. And I'm going to share this story with you of what happened and how God saved my son. And I'm also just going to share some reflections about it because I'm just like so overwhelmingly grateful that God did save him. And I think it really ties in to this idea of God's compassion and grace and just shows us a, a picture of this compassion. So, so first, there was a lot of warnings leading up to this happening. About a year ago, the Holy Spirit woke me up in the middle of the night one night about 3.30 in the morning and said to me, go up to Caleb's room. I'm going to speak to you there. And I went. And the Holy Spirit said to me, the plans of the enemy against this child are for brain damage and learning disabilities. But your job is to cancel the plans of the enemy. There's nothing that's not reversible and what the enemy means for evil, I will use for good. And the challenging times ahead, they're going to humble you. 
which I need because I can think I have it all together way too often. Then, just about a week before this happened, Sandra had a dream that baby Caleb was crawling toward danger in the midst of a crowd, and I wasn't paying attention. Then, the morning before this happened, Esther was woken up, was woken up by the Holy Spirit at 4.30 in the morning, and he said to her, get on your knees and pray. And she was, the Holy Spirit showed her 1 Kings 17, which is the story about a prophet living upstairs in a woman's house. And the woman's son dies, and then the prophet's job was to pray so that this child could be, this son could be raised back to life. And the Holy Spirit said to her, you're the prophet living upstairs in a woman's house. And something could happen to one of Ashley's sons. Pray. And she was like, no, no, no. Like, Ashley's good. Her family's all good. Nothing can happen. And the Holy Spirit said, something can happen. Pray. So before we got our bathing suits on to go to the pool that day, she was upstairs praying that God would be the same God who raises the dead that he was in that passage today for us and our family. So, the day that we went to the pool, it was a beautiful little sunny day. Everything was stable, normal. And I was taking my four kids. Drusilla was meeting us there. I'm, I'm mentoring her. So she was meeting me there to talk. We meet like once a week. And, you know, I put the sunscreen on the kids, put the floaties on the little ones. They go run off to play. And then we realized that Caleb, who's still potty training, had a dirty diaper. And so I pull him out, take the floaty off to change him. And it was one of those explosive kinds that was like all over the shirt and on in the pants and then like on, on his leg. Now it was on the towel. The big kids were hollering like there's chunkies in the pool, you know. So I was like distracted by I cleaned off the baby first, put his new pull up on the swim diaper. And I was distracted by like, how am I going to clean up all these pieces of this mess? And I didn't put his floaty on. And Drusilla was sitting there with me. And I just assumed that she was watching. And I didn't ask her. I didn't say anything like, hey, can you watch the baby? Like while I, while I finish cleaning this mess. So I sit back down after getting it all cleaned up and and I asked Drusilla, like, where's Caleb? And then we see him and he was floating underneath the water, fully submerged, face down, with his arms and legs like hanging limp. And so I just run to him and like scoop him up and like I don't care how long it is in my life. Like, I'll never forget the way his face looked like in that moment because he, he was like this unnatural shade of blue. And his eyes and mouth were closed like they were never going to open. Yeah. And so I just started like calling to him and hitting his back and, and he was unresponsive. 
And so I scramble to get him out of the pool and I lay him on the concrete. And then Ivy Fee listened for his heartbeat and his heart Gosh. And, you know, for a moment, I was just panicked and, like, couldn't think of what to do. But then I remembered my CPR training because the word that the Holy Spirit had given me about the plans of the enemy for brain damage being against my child had spurred me to want to get emergency training and CPR training for our whole family. And so just a few months before we had done CPR training, I wouldn't have known what to do. And so then I hollered for the kids to call 911 and I started CPR. And I just remember like as I was doing the compressions on my baby, like I was just groaning. Like I had no words for how much I wanted him to come back to life. Like, there's no desire that I've ever had for anything in my life that can compare to how much I wanted his heart to start beating again in that moment. And I remember thinking, like, I wish I could trade places with him. I would trade my life for his gladly. I couldn't even pray. Like, I didn't have, I couldn't even think to pray. I was only groaning. But then my four-year-old, who was also there with us, he started praying for his brother to come. I didn't hear his prayers, but God heard his prayers. And it was when he started praying that that's when he had breathed his breath like back into my son's lungs. And he started breathing again. And the joy and relief that I had in that moment, like, there's just no words for that. Like, I just, like, shouted for joy and scooped him up so he could be close to me and be with me. And I was just like, thank you, God. Thank you. So then the paramedics arrived and said, we need to go to the hospital. Sometimes kids can have problems after a drowning event. And so we went and they said, you're gonna stay a day or two, a couple days to get him checked out and everything. And so after all the tests were ran and everything, and they said, it looks like he's gonna be okay. We started to process the event. So Caleb's processing seemed to be going really great. He made up a song in the ER that goes like this. If you're swimming and you know it, come back up. If you're swimming and you know it, come back. As if he had the power to save himself when he was utterly dependent on us. My process, on the other hand, was a lot more complicated. So on one hand, I was praising God like for his life, like, thank you, God. But then on the other hand, like, it was my failure to look that nearly cost the life of my child. 
And so I was plagued this last week with like just a deeper level of guilt and shame than I've ever experienced in my whole life. The kind of guilt that like literally makes you like physically sick and like hang over the toilet in shame. I almost, my mistake almost killed my baby. And so, you know, a lot of people were saying kind things like, oh, you know, accidents happen. It was just a mistake. It wasn't your fault. You're a good mom. And I know on one hand that they meant those things and, you know, that's true. I didn't have any ill intent for my child. But on the other hand, like, whenever you come face to face with like the worst thing you've ever done in your life, like just trying to make it not sound that bad doesn't help. It just doesn't reach the deep places in your heart. So as I hung my head over the toilet in shame, here is the only thought, the only thing that actually helped. It was this. I can agree with my guilt and I can say, yes, what I did was awful. I should have drowned instead of him. And Jesus lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. He never made mistakes like that. He died the death that I deserved. And whenever I trusted in him many years ago and gave my loyalty to him, his perfect life was spiritually transferred to me. The death that I deserved was spiritually transferred to me. So I don't have to say for the rest of my life, I'm never going to forgive myself or just carry that shame with me all the time because I can be truly forgiven because he made a way for even the worst things we've ever done to be paid for. There's a grace that is actually greater than all of your faults and all of my faults. That was the only thought this week that helped me to pick myself up off the bathroom floor and wash my face and just say, thank you God, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your grace to me. Whenever I was in the hospital, the day after this happened, and I was just asking God, like, I need you to speak to me right now. I'm really desperate to hear from you about, about this event. I know this is like really not a good Bible study practice and like you're not supposed to do this, but I think sometimes God just meets people where they're at in their desperate places. And I was just like, I'm going to open the Bible. You know, you've all done it. Don't lie. I'm going to open the Bible and I need you to speak to me on that page. Like I need a word from you right now. And the passage that I opened to like without flipping or reading around or anything, was a passage about a near drowning event and God's salvation and the right response to that. What are the chances? It was like 3,000 pages. Like, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted 
He is so good. And the passage was saying that while the waters engulfed me and the waters grabbed me by the throat, my life was slipping away. The ancient abyss, the gates were slamming shut on my life forever. But God brought me up from the grave alive. And then it gives an example of the right response. And it said, those who worship worthless idols, anything that we put our trust in that's other than God, anything that's ultimate in our hearts, those who worship worthless idols forfeit the mercy that could be theirs. But as for me, I will offer a public declaration of praise to the God who saves. He is my salvation. Salvation belongs to And I felt the Holy Spirit in that moment saying, this is your response. Go tell everybody this story and go tell everybody that I'm the God who saves because I brought your child back. Did you know CPR only works 9% of the time? Only God can breathe life back into someone's lungs. Only God can start a heart beating. Only God can save us spiritually. As I came home, sorry, this is hard for me to get through. As I came home after the hospital and started talking to the women who were staying with me about what happened, immediately they were pointing out just all of the parallels between how God saved my child physically and how God saves us spiritually. And as I meditated on that this week, I was like, this is so beautiful. This story is the story of the gospel. Caleb had no power to come back to life, even if he was swimming and he knew it. He had no power. We, the like God's word says that we are powerless like that. When my child, just as my child's heart was not beating, he was not breathing, he was as good as dead. God's word says that all of us are dead in our trespasses. Just as I was groaning, like with words, without words, like from the life of my child in that moment, God's word says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. He groans for you like that. He groans for your neighbors and your friends like that. That's God's love for you. As I thought, like, I wish I could trade my life for his in that moment. The, the compassion of a parent for their child. I had no power to do that, but Jesus actually did that. He traded life our life for his, his life for ours. And just as whenever God breathed life into my son and he took a breath and I literally shouted for joy, God's word says that he renews you by his love. He shouts for joy over you. 
over your salvation. And it says that whenever one person is saved, that he throws a party in heaven. He's so overjoyed at at the work of salvation. Just as I opened the Bible and God was like really clearly telling me like, hey, go make a public declaration of praise. You know, God tells us that if you are in this room and you're saved, it's our right response to salvation to make a public declaration of praise. We are supposed to tell everybody about it. And that starts with baptism, which is like a drowning to your old self and a raising again of new life in Jesus. And just like, you know, this story really also speaks to like when we're saved, we get to have fellowship with other believers living in community who also speak into our lives and pray for us. And we get to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit who speaks to us and who warns us about things and who interacts with us when we're brokenhearted. And we are about to take communion right now. And the, you know, the, the rows are going to go up here and it's on the table. Oh. And, okay, back table, sorry, back table, side tables. You can go get communion in just a moment. But you know, the early church, the way they did communion was they actually had one loaf of bread and then they tore off pieces to give to each person because it was symbolic of, hey, this same Holy Spirit that spoke to me and to some of my friends, that's the Holy Spirit that's in you. The Spirit of God that raised my child physically from the dead, that raised Jesus from the grave, that's the same Holy Spirit living in you. We all drink of the same Spirit and this same fellowship of believers that we have. We're all part of that. So as we take communion, just remember that you're part of that if you've believed in Jesus, if you've been saved spiritually. So what's going to happen now is I, I'm going to read a psalm over us. Well, first, I just want to say thank you for giving me 15 minutes to share this story and just some reflections because thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Because I think it really does just show a picture so much of God's compassion and grace. And so just as I read this psalm, I just want you to close your eyes here in a second and pray and ask God how he wants you to respond. Because maybe, maybe you're spiritually dead. And maybe today is your day of salvation. And he's speaking to you that he wants to breathe spiritual life today into you. And you need to ask him to do that. Or maybe, you know, there's someone in your life that is in a really helpless situation. And God wants you to be his image bearer and have compassion on that person and go help. Maybe there's someone in your life that doesn't deserve it and has done some, made some really terrible mistakes. And maybe God's calling you to give them grace as his image bearer. Or maybe God's calling you to make a public declaration of praise to the God who saves. You can tell this story. Hey, I heard this story in church this week. It was really crazy. This kid, here's what happened. Or maybe you have your own story that you can go and share this week. Ask the Holy Spirit, how does he want you to respond 
to this compassionate and gracious God. He wants to speak to you right now. So ask him. I'm going to read this psalm. Please just close your eyes with me and bow your head. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all of your sins and who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and who crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all of the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. He's a speaking God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Thank you, God. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of humans, of mortals, is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field, and the wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. Life is so fragile. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all you heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking His kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com.